Jag vet inte hur många sällskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi ser en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för sällskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för sällskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i sällskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Today, I'm so lucky to have Matthew House Barbie with us. He's the director of acquisitions at HubSpot, and he is also the co-founder of Traffic Think Tank. Uh, he and definitely he is a brilliant digital marketer, and he is the one of the keynote speakers at the shift in November. So, welcome, Matthew. It's great to be here, Lucas. Uh, great to be talking to you. Yes, it's real nice to have you here. So, Matthew, can you just shortly tell us a little bit about your uh, what you do and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm sure the listeners can probably tell I have a British accent uh, and uh, I'm currently based over in in London right now. I was actually living over in Boston, uh, Massachusetts for the past nearly three years and Dublin prior to that. And one of the reasons why um, I've been shifting around so much is uh, I took on a role at HubSpot. kind of about four and a half, nearly five years ago now, uh, to build out their SEO team initially. And that kind of expanded into building out and growing the the whole customer acquisition team, um, which rolls into myself, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. Um, I spent a lot of my early career focused quite a lot on SEO, so search engine optimization, and have then spanned out into broader growth marketing. Um, And alongside that, as you alluded to at the start, I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Traffic Think Tank, which is a private um, membership community to learn all about SEO and broader marketing and also operates as like networking and events um, for, for individuals, entrepreneurs, founders and marketers as well. Yeah, so you're a specialist at the... The, the top part of the, the the pirate metric funnel, so to say, uh, is that correct? Yeah, I, I primarily focus on um, acquisition as a as a whole. Um, I I spend a lot of time still thinking and working closely on the likes of uh, activation retention uh, as well, but primarily at the at the get go around uh, acquisition is where my my forte is. So even if the you know the acquisition part is the first step of this uh, uh, pirate metric, uh, does it mean that that's the you know place to start when you're trying to sell a product? I think it really depends on the product and the business. So I, I often think about when you're thinking about generally generating new customers as a whole, right? And you're thinking about all different stages of these, you've got kind of different levers that you can pull. And in some cases, like you may have a lot of early traction on the acquisition side because you have a really great, interesting product that's got a load of like coverage. Maybe it's a consumer facing product. There's a a, a much broader appeal. Um, And a lot of people are really interested in it. And your challenge lies more in how do we retain these customers? How do we increase their order value? How do we grow the lifetime value of these individuals? Um, And I think that's then what would dictate whether you lean more into one aspect of of this funnel or one um, or another. And similarly, if you have a great product or even a not so great product and you're struggling for traction, I think that's when you will focus a lot more of your time in probably the acquisition side. And I think this goes through uh, kind of like S-curves, right, of, of growth where you will lean in more on one area 
until you reach a certain point and you've built up maybe enough demand in the acquisition side that now you need to spend much, much more time figuring out how to monetize some of these uh, customers you're bringing in, how you can retain them better. When you've got to a better place there, you can invest more in acquisition again and take those next like step changes in growth. So I, I think that overall, it's very dependent on on the business model. Okay, I see. And so, and there's also difference between customers and traffic, right? It's not like traffic it, is, or isn't it? Yeah, I think. Well, absolutely. I, and I this this comes down to channel efficiency in in many ways. So, traffic can often be a proxy to customers, and if you are very efficient in terms of, and by efficient, what I'm talking about is converting traffic into customers uh, within certain channels. Like organic search is a great example of this. If you have uh, the infrastructure built out where you know when you bring through organic search traffic that fits a certain level of uh, intent behind the searches that are going on, that you can convert those, your focus actually shifts much more to how do I grow traffic um, versus how do I ensure that this traffic converts? And I think this is like a, 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 a very delicate balance that you're often striking because over-optimizing too heavy in one area will often mean that the other suffers and you kind of have this um, misbalance of your entire kind of customer acquisition strategy really. But what I believe really good marketers are able to do is less be really good at like investing heavily and growing one aspect here. It's more knowing which lever to pull at which time. And I think that's where you'll find like some of the best kind of growth marketers in particular specialize in, in doing. So what does a good customer acquisition strategy look like? I think it needs to have balance. The the biggest challenge that a lot of a lot of companies make, and I've worked with a lot of startups over the years in particular, and with a lot of startups, they will often go very acquisition heavy, and this is often the case if they are like venture backed startups that have pretty much an entire emphasis on growth in any kind of metric. So the last metric that often is paid attention to really is revenue in, in this. And what uh, investors in early stage startups really put a lot of emphasis on is ultimately seeing those numbers of uh, numbers of users of a product coming up. I, I think there's some great uh, videos and talks recently that uh, the Andreessen Horowitz team have been producing around some of this stuff where they, they were talking about ultimately the overemphasis on metrics like weekly and daily active users within especially SaaS platforms and just a lack of care for revenue at that point in early stage startups. The big difference being like in enterprise level companies, a huge focus is just on revenue growth. And I think in early stage startups in particular, and even like series A, series B, the emphasis here is how do I grow month over month, quarter over quarter, show traction in things like website traffic, show traction in like whether it's leads generated if you're a sales driven business, whether it's free users into your product if you're a freemium business, whether it's net new customers um, that are coming in if you have like a direct to purchase um, function in place. And the consequence of some of this is that they'll often lean just too heavy into one area. And what then will happen is, okay, let's take SEO as a good example. If the focus is just let's drive as much traffic to the site as possible. I don't want to say that anyone can drive a ton of traffic to a website, but it's not overly difficult to just drive any kind of traffic. Now, driving the right kind of traffic, there is a very big difference between that and just driving any traffic. Um, and if you are not overly focused on how you will convert that traffic afterwards, you're going to end up six, nine, 12, 18 months down the line with some wonderful vanity metrics of like maybe a few hundred thousand monthly visits to your website and 
a really poor conversion rate, which in the grand scheme of things means nothing uh, for, for that traffic. You've wasted a whole lot of time. I think the key to ultimately building a successful, well-balanced customer acquisition channel uh, strategy is based on your own internal resources. Startups are a great example here, right? So often startups don't have a huge amount of resources to spend. Um, in particular, if you are a B2B versus a B2C, it's actually quite rare that startups will spend a lot on paid acquisition. Um, B2C may be a bit more depending on the funding level that they've had, but a lot of the time it will go into SEO, content marketing, depending on the, the, the type of customer, maybe some social uh social ads that you'll kind of like push and play around with. And then maybe some product driven growth as well. Knowing which like of your resources you can pool into maybe one or two of those things that you are somewhat efficient at is crucial to, to not just either wasting a ton of resources, building a load of vanity metrics or just spreading yourself too thin. And th this is kind of like the delicate balance you have to strike, especially in the, the early days. Jeg vet ikke hvor mange selskaper jeg har møtt som sliter med å få en professionell investorer til tross for at produktet egentlig er ganske bra og selskapet viser vekst og gode tal. Hvis det er en ting de proffe investorene er på utsikkerheter, i tillegg til at du bygger et bra selskap selvfølgelig, er hvordan du håndterer dine aksjonærer eller ditt såkalte cap table som det heter på startupsk. Et ødelagt cap table setter rett og slett en stopper for selskapsutvikling. Unlisted.ai gjør det mulig for selskaper å håndtere aksje- og opsjonprogrammer, aksjeeierboken, CapTable og det meste av rettigheter inn mot aksjene i selskapet på ett sted. Prøv Unlisted.ai sin gratisasjon i dag. Ok, så so you, so you're saying that you should actually focus on one or two channels that are effective? Instead, I, instead of I doing everything that... like everyone else is telling you to do, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And and this is where a lot of companies go wrong, in particular when companies will compare themselves to other companies that are at either very different stages to them in terms of product maturity, uh, customer maturity, um, and also very different markets as well. So you may see kind of a new startup going into uh say the the home rental space and they look at Airbnb and they say well look look at all these cool things that Airbnb did at the start you've got the classic craigslist tactics that they rolled out and they say oh yeah look let's try and implement some of these things that worked for Airbnb in the early stage the the challenge here is that a lot of those cool tactics that a lot of the kind of more sexy like startups now huge tech giants uh implemented several years ago they were a product of fantastic timing and innovation compared at the right time when you are copying an innovative tactic at a time that has now passed on from the point of it being efficient you are being neither innovative nor you are being timely. So it's a recipe for disaster and you will just spend a load of your time focused on things, chasing things that are becoming immediately uh, less and less valuable. So I, I talked about this um, a couple of years ago in, in an article I wrote and also I, di I did a talk around this where there, there's such an overemphasis in particular in customer acquisition on tactics. And that... Tactics have a, a real place in marketing. You need to have some form of tactics to actually get stuff done. But if you are confusing a strategy with just a set of tactics, you're going to be in trouble because the moment that a tactic is used, it immediately begins to decrease in the amount of value that it can drive, right? So you, you have what I would kind of call like uh, channel fatigue or tactic fatigue. You find that something's working really, really well more people see that this thing is working really well, more people adopt it, becomes more saturated over time, and more often than not, the, the tactic or the, the thing that you're exploiting to gain growth becomes wiser and the, the kind of ground shifts around you. So a great example of this on a really small scale is uh, infographics. 
So I remember back in, say, 2010, and infographics as a content marketing function, a format, were really starting to take off. And uh, especially as like the next two to three years time came on, more and more companies were creating these interesting like data visualizations that they were getting huge amounts of coverage from. Big publications were picking them up. They were getting featured everywhere. They were getting tons of backlinks. It was helping with their SEO. And then other people started to see this. And then other people started doing infographics. And by the time we reached about 2016, it was very difficult to go anywhere without being plastered with infographics. Everyone's email inbox was, hey, I built this infographic and you feature it on your website. And they just became kind of almost like with banner advertising, this blindness to it. The tactic became less and less and less efficient. More and more people are competing for those less uh, smaller value pockets that they could extract from it. And as a result, it also required more resources to get results. So like when you think about this in terms of like a, a value to acquisition cost ratio, it's incredibly outweighed and heavy on the acquisition cost and the value is decreasing over time. So the, this is a, a huge pothole that people fall into. Yes, look at what competitors are doing. Yes, have a look at interesting tactics. More importantly though, really think about like, does this thing scale past like me getting a few quick wins in like a few months time? And could I foresee myself at least doing this for like 12 to 18 months? Is this part of a bigger play that feeds into other tactics that I'm rolling out? Or is this just something I'm doing in isolation that benefits nothing else than this one tiny metric that it's resting upon? If that's the case, right? Like that's, that's not an ideal situation to be in. I think you want to have like, bets that you're making, but spreading that out across a number of different tactics that actually sit under an umbrella of a common strategy or goal, ultimately. But so how do you find out which channel or which tactic is effective for you? How do you do that? I think this starts by initially looking kind of within. So at the stage you're at right now, where are your customers coming from? Right. Are you a company that has a huge amount of kind of like inbound growth and relies on like some of the more well-known marketing channels like SEO, paid acquisition, um, kind of some level of like uh, social media advertising or social media organic uh, growth, brand level work, partnerships, or are you more driven by your product and kind of what we would think more commonly now is like network effects. Do, does a lot of your acquisition growth come from either kind of more word of mouth that is heavily linked to kind of customer MPS and having a really positive customer experience that they then pass on to other people? Or um, maybe there are like actual functions within your product that like referral marketing, affiliate programs that invite other people in. Um, or on the other side, uh, are you much more focused on like ecosystem, right? So is a lot of your growth driven by other companies? So are you building integrations into other products? Are you forming like deeper strategic partnerships? Are you doing co-marketing where you're tapping into those ecosystems? Are you even on other platforms? Let's go completely shift away from more product driven growth stuff and into like e-commerce, right? So are you tapping into ecosystems like Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, and other like huge e-commerce marketplaces? Um, or are you going after a customer base that is actually very, very niche, is quite small, very focused? Are you more account-based marketing? Do you have a really efficient sales business? The, a sales function, should I say, where your sales team are driving the large majority of your growth and actually a lot of it isn't inbound. Understanding like where things are coming right now and then deciding in each of those uh, areas, which are the ones that are performing the best and then how much more room for growth is there within each of these channels. Then factoring in, okay, how much, how much resources do I have here that I can actually expend into all these? You're not going to be able to go across all of these channels and say, I'm going to double down on each of those channels and go after all of the green space there. But taking one to two that have 
good efficiency, as in the, you know that they actually convert and perform well right now. If this is a case that you're a, a huge sales function, how are you driving leads into that sales function? How are you uh, building out the tech stack so that they can be more efficient within like account-based marketing? If you're focused more on the integration and ecosystem side, how do you get developers to build in and use your, your APIs? How do you invite other apps and uh, software platforms to either enable you to build into them or them build into you? All of these things are incredibly specific to your situation at that moment in time versus what's interesting and and, and cool and happening right now with a lot of the the, the the more sexy tech companies that are doing things. Yeah, but let's say you're starting out now and then you don't have, you don't, you don't know where your customers will be, right? You have some uh, uh-huh. hypothesis maybe about where they will be, but you don't know anything. Uh, how do you actually find out? Is, are you actually suggesting that you should go first, you should go abroad to test out some different things and then choose one or two to focus on? Or should you just focus on something from the get-go, uh, looking at others? Yeah, I think from the very beginning, um, there's there's a level of testing that you would you would need to do in the exact same way as if when you're bringing your product to to market for the first time, you you wouldn't just create something and then just let it loose and just hope for the best, right? Like you're going to do some kind of um, like customer feedback, get beta testers in. Like, I think that is the same way I try to think about customer acquisition. It's like, what are, what are your, what is like your beta strategy for customer acquisition? How do you test out even on a small scale, some of the efficiencies of these channels? And this is where like, even I, I'm a, I'm a big fan, like with things like SEO, which is very daunting for new companies to invest in because nine times out of 10, SEO does not just happen overnight. This is like at minimum, you're going to be spending like four to six months before you really see any kind of meaningful results from SEO. And it can take way longer than that. That's quite daunting for a startup that's getting a lot of pressure from the early stages to see early traction, prove out, get some customers through the door. How, how do you do that, right? When you're, when you're having to wait such a long period of time and invest a huge amount of resources in the, in the process. This is where I like to double it up with things like, okay, well, if on a more basic, very like granular level right now, right, we're going to try and rank for these 20, 30, 40 keywords that we know people are searching for that will end up finding our product and potentially become customers of ours or services. While you're working on the organic strategy, there's a way that you can go and say, okay, let's now allocate a portion of, of budget to invest in some small scale paid acquisition tests. Let's test and uh, build out ads against some of these keywords that we're also going to try and rank for organically in the meantime. Pile in some traffic. Kind of care a bit less about like how well does this paid acquisition strategy scale. It's more about, okay, these these two to three months, we're going to get a few customers in the door from the same kind of bucket of users that we're going after from organic search. Drive them through to some core landing pages. Measure out what the general conversion rate is. Make some tweaks to copy. Learn some things that you can then pass on to the organic search kind of side of things. See how well those customers retain, how well they monetize in general, what the general average order value is, depending on the the metrics that are important to you, whether they turn into leads that you can pass on to the sales team and how many of those turn into opportunities, right? You now have like your acquisition beta program that you've rolled out. It's validated that you should either invest more or less in this channel. And I think this is where like, this is one part of the the puzzle because that's just direct response. And then you're, you're building in other areas and starting like asking yourself at the beginning, like what is like a beta test for this channel on a small scale? And, and I will just, the final caveat I'll add, add on that is, you're not looking to completely prove that this is like 100% the best channel you can do, right? If you're, you're spending a small amount on paid, what I, what I often say, and I say this a lot with like my team, is you're often looking at a real, when you're at a really early stage of something, maybe you're launching a whole new channel or initiative, you're looking for kind of light at the end of the tunnel, right? It's like, okay, this conversion rate isn't like amazing, but 
I believe, based on like the skill sets we have or the things that we can bring in, we will be able to maybe shave off like uh, a few percentage from that conversion rate, get it looking a lot better, or at least a little bit better over a six to eight month period of time. The same time, I believe we'll be able to start growing, like piling more into the top of it, more traffic will come in and that'll increase its efficiency as well. I just want to know is like, is this in a general range that I can work with this and we can do stuff and we're not just completely in the dark. If I get to that stage, that's when I feel, okay, I feel a lot more comfortable now. Now I'll invest a bit more on some of this conversion rate work, get that looking a little bit better. I'm going to put more now into the organic search side of things. I'm learning stuff as I go as well from like the paid stuff that I move over into my landing pages that I'm focused for SEO. And all of the time, like you're doing little, little things to just keep validating things that you're doing. And uh, it's the same for even things like building in integrations into platforms, starting much smaller, not doing a project that's going to take 12 months to build into something, right? Like small little projects that you can do a few of to just validate do we think this could even work? Even if it's not the scale of a major integration, like does this even potentially add value? Do we get good feedback on it from customers? Do we create customers on a small scale? These are the things that I'd be thinking about. Okay, that's a really interesting insight. So uh, let's uh, talk a little bit more about channels. Uh, you, you mentioned the word uh, or the, the term channel fatigue. What, what do you mean by channel fatigue? So w- one thing is tactic fatigue, but channel fatigue. So are you saying that SEO doesn't work anymore? Because SEO is, everyone is doing SEO, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So um, I think with, with channel fatigue, um, every, every channel hits a point of maturity, right? And some of those channels for certain businesses as well, there's, there's a lot of variables at play here, will mature and reach a point of fatigue quicker than others. The, uh, on, a, on a more practical level, right, even if we think about uh, organic search, right, there is, uh, whether it's organic search or this paid acquisition, whether it's product-driven growth or it's partnerships, there is a limited number of customers that will purchase from you. And that has a fixed set, right? And it's it's rare that any company in the world will will reach every single customer that they're ever going after. But the the people using the the channels that they would absorb customers from, for example, SEO, will reach levels of maturity. If you end up performing really really well in organic search, and you rank really well for a large number of keywords that are what what are, are most commonly referred to in SEO as like money keywords. The, the keywords people are searching for where they convert at a high, high level into signups. So uh, for example, if you sell a product, people searching specifically for like the, the product category, right? You sell fashion and apparel, people searching for red dresses or sneakers, things like that, right? And you rank really well. You can't rank better than number one, right? So when you're there and you're, you're, you've got a huge amount of coverage, you're bringing through a consistent amount of, uh, of, of organic traffic and ultimately revenue, hopefully. But you're starting to reach a ceiling of where you can kind of go from there. And the way that you often end up grow, uh, growing out is like horizontally. So you'll maybe go and target terms that will maybe convert slightly worse, but have the ability to grow more traffic. But it it creates a larger acquisition cost to go after those those keywords and less revenue in the output. So you start to see this fatigue. At that point, it, it's where you're you're more focused on like a defensive play, keeping your positions, fighting with competitors. But you're also being kind of attacked in different ways. Right. A great example of this is this year, um, where nearly anyone that's been investing heavily in SEO has been hurt by some of the changes that Google have been doing, um, especially in May of 2019, when they rolled out some updates to the mobile search results. They made, and, and I'm sure if anyone's done any searches in Google on mobile, where it's now becoming increasingly difficult to see what is an ad and what is not an ad. As a result, more clicks are going to ads and less clicks are going to 
organic results, especially from mobile. At the exact same time, mobile searches are dramatically increasing. Uh, so even when you are doing everything correctly, ranking number one, doing what you can control, there are other factors at play that are starting to eat up some of that efficiency. We're seeing more with like things like featured snippets, video carousels, uh, more Google shopping ads, and like all of these different um, SERP features coming into the results page that impact the click-through rate into your, your website and ultimately conversions. There are opportunities for some businesses with this. There are like huge challenges that other businesses face. And it's usually the ones challenging for some of those top spots that will benefit here. But overall, like this is the, the, another one of those like delicate balances that, that come at play and understanding that like all of these channels that you're going after, they have a point where they don't just, they don't just operate in a way where they just endlessly grow for you. You may reach a, you may just be growing at a rate where you never really reach this point of maturity, but that's probably more relevant to the fact that you're not growing as fast as other companies relevant to you. So uh, that that's usually the way I try to think about this and is why I'm so obsessed, especially at HubSpot, where organic search is a huge driver of revenue for us. But my focus is not like, how do we continue growing SEO? It's how do I build ramps so that as this channel eventually does become less efficient for us, which it eventually will, we have other channels that are coming up and growing at a faster rate that we can then like take on some of the load of that. How do we invest in some of the other like app ecosystems? How do we do more with our mobile apps? How do we invest more into building, into developer ecosystems? How do we grow product virality, et cetera, et cetera? Okay, so it's uh, like a hamster wheel. You never get done, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, cannot, you, you cannot rank number one and then go off to a tropical island and relax for the next of you. It's actually well, getting... You, it's, you, well, can you? You, you? you could do that. Yeah. You could do that, yeah. But yeah. you're probably going uh, to stop growing at some point. So uh, unless you've got really good Wi-Fi from your tropical island, mm. and then I guess you'll be okay, and then you can continue, continue <laughs> with your SEO work. Okay, good. So uh, an undertone in everything you've been uh, speaking about is data and metrics. So you, you can't do any of these things if you don't know what's actually happening on your site and on what, on uh, how effective your different tactics are. So how, what, what is the, can you talk a little bit about the importance of data and metrics and setting that up right? Definitely. Um, having a solid foundation of data and attribution is incredibly important. If you, if you can't measure something, if you can't actually measure the impact of what you're doing, you may as well not be doing it. That, that's my, my personal opinion here. Um, if you can't prove that something's worked, then it's failed in, in my eyes. And Even if it's worked? I think that, well, how would you know, right? <laughs> I think that's the... Yeah, let's say you get, you get, uh, you get customers, right? Right. Well, you've measured it, right? And that's, yeah. I think that's the key piece. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. right. So, and, and uh, it's, even if you've gained more customers, there's at least some like rudimental like measurement that you can kind of do there. So like brand marketing is notoriously difficult to measure the direct impact on revenue. But I also don't believe that necessarily that is the core metric for something like brand marketing. Um, you're measuring things in very, very different ways. So, so, so um, let me stop you a little bit there because it's really interesting yeah. about brand marketing. And hmm. how do you actually measure brand marketing? I, well, I think that's a very big topic to to dive into. But I think one of the, so I will I will take away maybe the one of the the key points that I will have because, um, and I'll caveat all of this with brand marketing is incredibly difficult to to measure effectively. And I think one of the challenges around all of this is that attribution is incredibly difficult, not just at brand marketing level, at every layer of like customer acquisition. Um, there are many, many great analytics platforms, event-based analytic platforms, traffic analytics platforms, but I do not believe that any of them have truly solved the issue of multi-channel attribution. And 
the company that does do that is probably going to make a hell of a lot of money. Uh, but on the brand marketing level, I think where a lot of people will go wrong is try to measure it in the same way that you would as a customer acquisition strategy, uh, customer acquisition channel. So brand marketing is not direct response. You can't account your brand marketing efforts purely to how many customers did we generate, right? In the same way that understanding the customer experience should not be linked in the it, linked to how many net new customers did we bring in as a result of having a positive customer experience with our existing customer base. At the same time, those two things, building a strong brand and generating more awareness to your brand, delivering a really strong customer experience to your existing customer base are intrinsically linked to the efficiency that you'll gain in customer acquisition. Throughout, like, I think it's really important is understanding the purchasing decision in, in much more detail, right? So when someone is going to purchase your product or your service, what are the steps that they take, right? You've got at the very top level, you've got kind of like some of this awareness. I think this is where understanding on the brand marketing level, how do we reach as many people as possible, especially from like a product point of view? I mean, there's different levels of brand marketing from like a, uh, a talent acquisition point of view as well, which we'll, we can park for now. Um, getting as many eyeballs, getting as much like product recognition so that when you do then go through and have like direct response, like advertising that's focused on bringing in the customers, people have like at least had a touch point or have recognized your, your, uh, your product in some way, shape or form. I think a fantastic example of a company doing this unbelievably well is uh, Zoom, the uh, webinar company. They spend a, for, for a modern tech company, they spend a, a huge amount of their budget on offline brand advertising. If you go to any airport in the US, like most of them have like banners within them, like posters, digital signage that is about Zoom webinars. You will always be hit with Zoom ads. They actually do very little on like the more traditional customer acquisition side of things. And the reason why they're able to do that is they're incredibly efficient at how they spend money on like their offline advertising and their brand work. And they know that they have this incredible uh, network effect engine that when someone uses their webinar product that is a customer of them and they bring someone in and they have a, a guest on their, their webinar or on a video call that is not a Zoom webinar user, they have to sign up for Zoom webinars. They have a, a tremendous engine. So it's all about just continuing to get that brand in their face and continuing to deliver a really, really positive customer experience that then creates anything that they do, whether it's like paid advertising on the direct response, it becomes more efficient. It helps increase conversion rate. And understanding on a more tactical level, like just even correlation there is, is incredibly important. I think that's when you, you really invest in having both good analytics and data infrastructure, but even better um, data analysts and data scientists that can tie together these dots I think just on like a simple, very like rudimentary level, if you're a startup and you're not going to invest in building a data science and BI team, right? Like if you're doing brand level marketing, you want to understand the like basic impact of some of this, even just looking at the amount of branded searches being made in Google search console, are people continuing to search for your company name? And does that spike around the time when we have big brand initiatives? Do we see increases in conversion rate across other channels because they're having more touch points around times when you're doing big brand initiatives? That's why like a good beta test in like some of the brand marketing pieces is to have some of these like big, big campaigns that last for a period of time and then they stop. So you can measure the, the time in and outside of those before committing to long-term campaigns. So there's, there's a lot of infrastructure that goes in there and a lot of nuance, but all of these play a part in this bigger puzzle. Uh, that is like your your, your acquisition strategy. Yeah, I'm sorry about uh, I'm sorry about this detour. Uh, we were talking about uh, data and metrics and the importance of actually knowing what you're doing. Otherwise, uh, it, it, you know, 
you will spend a lot of money on things that you don't know actually works or not and uh, but how do you actually set this up is, is your first when you when you start a company is your first hire a data scientist is that what you have to do or should you should that be like a very very important part from the the first team um or or how do you do this should you buy this service from uh, people like you or I think this is um this is something that is again like many things in in uh in in the startup world in particular are are incredibly dependent on your the, the context of your own business. If you are a product uh that is a for example either a software product whether you're in SaaS or you're a platform as a service or let's say you're a social network for example right that pretty much uh, rely on growth through delivering more uh, or a more highly engaged user base within the product. So thinking about like if your North Star metric, right, is uh, daily active users, that's when you're going to want to have like a much more advanced kind of analytic setup and more in-house expertise to actually decipher and make sense of a lot of the data, especially if you're doing a hell of a lot on like product level analytics. If you are not quite at that level, and let, let's say you are an e-commerce business, let's say you are a services business, you are very much focused on like inbound growth uh, through say like organic search, paid acquisition, etc. You're going to spend a lot more time on web analytics, right? There's, there's not as much detail. Yes, you're going to have like uh, different event triggers and uh, conversion opt- uh, conversion metrics that you'll be tracking within stuff like Google Analytics, but you may not be having like a full implementation of something like Mixpanel or Amplitude for like more deeper product analytics. As a result, you probably also don't need like a dedicated headcount, especially if you're a startup and headcount is is uh, is a, a real commodity. Um, if you are deciding whether do I bring in someone who can help us grow acquisition versus someone who can kind of like be dedicated to data science, if you are in the latter example, I would absolutely go for the acquisition marketer at this stage. As you start ha- kind of having a, a, a more blended like marketing mix. So you've gone across a lot of different channels. You are starting to invest more and more into more complex data platforms. That's when you're probably going to want to have someone in-house. Nine times out of 10, if I'm a startup, I would just probably hire a contractor to set this stuff up, get every, all the infrastructure built out so that now I can measure the things that I'm doing. And then I bring in my team. I start rolling up my initiatives. I have the foundation laid. I don't necessarily need someone managing and running the data side of things day to day, but it's all been set up, it's ready to go. And then when we hit a critical point where we need to kind of move to the next step in our data infrastructure, that's when I will reconsider some of these things. Yeah, that's a great uh, great insights as well, uh, Matthew. And um, uh, one last thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, let's go down from a strategy level to a more tactical level. Um, do you have some really great tactics that are working to attract uh, customers and i know this is a some sort of a stupid question in in light of what we're just discussing now because it all <laughs> it all depends right but but are yeah. there are there like some low hanging fruit tactics that you would would like recommend to almost anyone um i think that there there are definitely certain tactics that are working particularly well i think maybe the, I can give a few different, maybe two to three different examples of, in particular, companies that are doing interesting things that I think then uh, the listeners can have a little look into and spend more time thinking about. And just things that have generally interested me over time that may spark some, they may not necessarily be things that people could immediately use, but I think are interesting ways of thinking. Um, so one company uh, that, I, that I think are doing some really interesting things are TransferWise the um, cross-border payments company. They have done a really great job of blending product and engineering work with SEO. They've tapped into some really interesting search opportunities where when people are, like the, the core problem that TransferWise solve is people that are looking to send money to different countries without the huge pain 
of trying to do this via your bank, the long wait times and also the, the horrible fees that you have to pay. So what they realized is, okay, well, if people are searching for a conversion rate from, say, British pound sterling to US dollar, there's, there's a few reasons why they might do this. One of those reasons might be that they're actually looking to convert money so they can calculate things out and then send it. So what TransferWise team said is, well, what if we try to rank for any time people are looking for like conversions in, uh, in currency, we want to be on the first page and have a way for people to actually do that on our site and actually convert into TransferWise customers. So they built out this, um, this currency converter tool that not only does that, but it also, uh, and it generates out pages for each of the different currency conversions. They rank for a lot of different currency conversions. Um, but on top of that, what they do is they show you the fees attached to sending those uh, payments overseas that you would pay by like your traditional bank versus via them. And guess what? It's much less with TransferWise. They also did a thing where the other thing that people will look for is um, uh, Swift codes or uh, Bit codes, the things that you need, like uh, the IBAN codes, the international banking uh, numbers to send overseas via banks. They create a generator tool that spun up loads of these for banks all around the world so that, again, they tap into a core like search intent where someone is looking to perform an action that TransferWise can fulfill. They engineered a tool to do this, and they ranked at scale. I think that's an incredibly interesting way of doing this, um, and isn't just your traditional kind of create a page of content, rank for this thing, generate an, into a lead, and nurture them, and etc. So I think that's one great example. And like just digging into the TransferWise website, a lot of marketers can learn a lot from the way they're doing things. Second thing, this is a really small thing, but it's just one of my favorite little tactics that I think uh, that I've seen uh, over the years. And uh, this was from um, freelancer.com, the, the platform where you go through and you can hire freelancers. Uh, a few years ago, I met with the, uh, the VP of growth from Freelancer, and he shared this tactic that they did um, with, with, uh, with me, and I, I really enjoyed it. And... What they did is so Upwork.com is one of their main competitors. And Upwork have a page, which a lot of software also have, which is um, an uptime page. So it will show like a status whether Upwork is down or whether, or whether it's uh, operating live. So if they're having some technical issues, it will show up on the status page. Uh, Upwork is experiencing some technical difficulties, right? Come back in an hour or whatever. What Freelancer did is they, they set up uh, a script to scrape this page and crawl this page, sorry, frequently. If it ever showed that Upwork had some downtime, it would immediately trigger Facebook ads that would go out to a similar <laughs> audience that would let people know that Upwork is down so they should come and use Freelancer right now and not have to wait. I think that that is uh, both an evil and genius uh, little tactic that I really enjoy and I love that little a uh, little way of thinking. The other thing I love is that the freelance team used to call this Upwork Happy Hour, which uh, I just think is great. Uh, as, uh, as that's, a, that's a really, really great uh, little tactic that, again, one of those that difficult to replicate, but I think it's more about how you approach a problem versus how you scale like a tactic that's already working. And then the final one that I would say is um, Pandadoc. So Pandadoc is a... B2B SaaS platform, and they're a document signing company. So if you've ever signed an online document, you haven't had to go through the pain of trying to print off a piece of paper, write it, find a photocopier, which no one has anymore, uh, scan that in and send it, they have electronic document signing, right? Now, a lot of people that will be signing documents electronically, they will also often need documents in the first place basic agreement templates, they need uh, customer receipts, invoice templates, all of these. What PandaDoc did and did really well is they built a huge library of business templates that they noticed from looking at their analytics data their customers were using and sending to other non-customers, right? Not only did they do that, so they, they, they built out this huge directory 
of different templates. I think they had a few hundred in there. They ended up ranking for things like invoice templates and uh, um, RFP template, all of these different things. And they brought in actually, I think like over a hundred thousand visits per month just to this template library. That's really a, a really great tactic. But then they took that one step further. What they did is to access the template, what you would do is say you'd click a button and instead of that just being like a PDF or a Word document or whatever, it would take you straight into the Pandadoc app. You could add in all of your custom kind of pieces and you could directly send this to the person who you want to sign it. But the, the, the final step when you went to send it to someone, you just had to sign up for a free Pandadoc account. A really great way of tying in an incredibly like close product link to high intent searches in the search engines and also an incredibly high conversion rate as a result that can generate new users into your platform. And by the person receiving this document that signs it, you have that network effect of them also getting exposure to your brand as well. Really clever ways, all three very different things and ways of approaching customer acquisition, but hopefully there's enough in there that you can take away and get a little bit of inspiration from. Thank you very much, Matthew, and uh, thank you for um, uh, the time to to have this conversation with me about uh, marketing. And you will also be one of the keynote speakers at uh, the shift. So, what can we expect from you when you come to Norway in November? Yes, I will. I'm looking forward to it. What can you expect? Uh, I will try and share as many bad jokes. Um, as many tactics and uh, a sometimes difficult to understand British accent. So hopefully you'll come away with either some lack of respect for my poor puns and jokes, uh, but absolutely you will come away with a few different tactics. In particular, if you want to learn a little bit more about SEO, um, I'll be sharing a bunch of things that I've either done over the years I've seen and find interesting and ways that you can approach solving problems in particular within the remit of, of SEO. I'll be really doubling down in that area and sharing some, some cool things that you can go and test out. Um, so kind of along the lines of some of the things we've talked about today, but I'll be going into much more detail uh, in the talk. So uh, again, thank you very much, Matthew, and uh, good luck with your journey. And I'm looking forward to seeing you here in Oslo in November. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Lucas.